On this episode of Stories Behind the Grind, listen to my conversation with Peter Ellis, CEO of River City Labs and founder of 3AM Tribe. We discuss how to win a hackathon event, what the best startups have, how to build a community, and why founder mental health should be a priority. My name is Aidan Vokolo, and here you will find business strategies, tips, and tactics that you can incorporate not only in your own venture, but your life to help you simplify and strategically grow, scaling up the impact you're having in this world. Listen as I talk to creators, innovators, and game changers on what it takes to build an impactful business, uncovering their insights, strategies, and tips to help you increase profitability and develop a thriving team culture. Welcome to the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. Peter, thanks so much for coming on the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. It's great to have you on. Thank you for having me. Peter, you're the CEO of River City Labs, the co-founder of Peak Persona, and now founder of 3AM Tribe. You've hosted, organized, judged, and mentored over 20 startup weekends and hackathons, and you've launched the Young Entrepreneur Network. Curious to where your fascination with startups developed from. That is a, a really good question. Look, I don't think I, I, I had a fascination with startup. It was definitely more I sort of fell into the space or my own you know, personal career evolution evolved and I landed there somehow. When I first came across startups, I was running my own PR marketing agency, which I had done for 10 years prior to joining River City Labs. And a few of my own clients and customers were startups. That was back in the era when um, you know people were creating apps and that was pretty much all startups were. It was very, very early stage. So I did a lot of PR and publicity for newly launched applications and different platforms for things, but I could definitely see a trend towards tech and the ability that tech had to transform small businesses or businesses in general, their own systems and processes to be able to enable them to scale and grow and create new products on the back of that. And through a few friends of mine who did, who were, you know, software developers and were working in the space, I met um, a few other founders at River City Labs after attending an event there and then just basically saw the opportunity that with my marketing hat on and my publicist hat on to tell a lot of the stories in there pretty much about the entrepreneurs who are working out of there because I thought it was fascinating that all these people were sort of working out of space that no one really knew what they were doing in there. And I, I knew a lot about business and events and, and bringing people together. So I thought I could definitely bring or have a bit of an impact by bringing my world that I knew very well into a space that wasn't so publicized and in and introducing a group of people who were extremely technical into the world of networking and creating events and and merging the two capabilities together I suppose and that's how it pretty much started for me how did you navigate I guess I mean typically you know software developers and, and startup founders founders like you said are quite technical how did you manage to marriage that up to you know marketing which can be quite forward-facing in terms of, well, a few parts to that, obviously, the entrepreneurs themselves or the technical people, obviously, that they're working on projects, they're focused on what they're doing and often don't look up to, to look at how they could you know, potentially market their concept or, or how they could collaborate with others to sort of um, shine a different light on what they're doing. But also, technical people aren't naturally the most social people. So to draw them out to events which involve um, a lot of human contact and a lot of socialization and networking isn't isn't a natural state of happiness for a lot of technical people. So I, I did it very small scale, gently, in a very comfortable, safe environment within River City Labs. Um, our event space was right next to our workspace. So they didn't have to go very far. It was a safe environment. It wasn't too confronting. But it did actually 
highlight the benefits of connecting with other people outside of their circles. So talking with people from different backgrounds and also introducing business people in who hadn't ever really met this whole other, you know, subset of people that were, you know, working on amazing things. And and really that's where, you know, the whole concept of collaboration and community stemmed from in the startup sector is is basically some of those really early events. And all I had to do was make sure that the two parties came together and then the rest did take care of itself, but with a lot of, you know, instigating of, of follow-up opportunities and, you know, checking in with people to make sure they were connected with who they needed to be connected to and, and then also teaching the basics of, of networking and, and following up and marketing 101, how do you actually market your own self as a person, as a founder, as an entrepreneur, as well as also what you're working on. Because most people always just think about the product and forget about themselves as the founder. And, you know, as we all know, in in business, you're not always going to be working on one concept. So it's just as important to market yourself as it is to market your product or business. Yeah. For those listening, do you have any tips that you see the more successful startups doing in terms of how they market their founders? Um, Yes. It always comes down to how hard they push and the ones that push hardest win every single time without fail. Um, there, it, it, Look, there are some fantastic companies and some fantastic founders who absolutely might fly under the radar, do really great things and you, we might not hear about them until all of a sudden they're, you know, they've got a team of 50 and they're expanding overseas. So that there are some of those but we also do have a lot of cases of the founders who, who got involved in a lot of things and went, you know, met with people, followed up, pitched at every single thing. Sometimes you think, man, these guys are everywhere. Can they possibly pitch at another event? It's just the hustle. It's the resilience that they build up from getting all of the no's, the getting the crap feedback or having people tell them that the idea is not great. Look, whether it's great or not, it doesn't really matter. It's how that founder handles the feedback and how they package it themselves and deal with it and process it. Do they respond differently next time? Do they frame their pitch differently the following time? Do they actually go back and fix the bit, which everyone's telling them probably doesn't work? So I think it it does definitely contribute to the success of the business is, is being able to put yourself out there. It's really hard to do because it's scary. Getting feedback is confronting, but there are so many cases of the ones who did do that and keep refining and working on it and just never really giving up. Of course, it's it's just so hard to do. Sometimes, you know, you don't have any money and you've got no customers and, you know, you've got team members who want to be paid and getting no's and in a pitch environment or you don't get selected to the last round and you just, you have, you know, it takes so much energy to keep putting yourself out there. And it takes a phenomenal sense of either internal belief of yourself or, or belief in your product sometimes in those moments to just keep going. And, you know, that is resilience building, which really, really comes into play later on when there's some big things happen in your business, whether it's, you know, financial issues, team issues, investor pressures, when you go through a growth phase, all of that, it's like a little toolbox that you build over time you know, when you go through things that create resilience but are really hard to do, you're, you know, on the other side, you're building this amazing survival kit that you can eventually call on subconsciously when you do hit tough spots through business that enable you to keep moving through those challenging periods. So as hard as it is, it's all part of the, you know, building the internal framework of becoming this super founder if there is such a thing. Yeah, and I guess through every sort of way that they put themselves out there, they 
through this resilience, they build up a, um, I guess, a, a case study, you know, a case study for themselves that they can. Absolutely. Reference. Every time. It's, you know, yep. a tough time. And it, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is. It's like I said, it doesn't matter if for this current business or the next one or the next one because in every every single time, you you know, you, you do the loops there you're going to get the same, you know, roller coaster journey. Sometimes the loops will be bigger, sometimes they'll be smaller. Sometimes you'll come up against them straight away as soon as you launch something. Sometimes they might be a bit down the road, but you're always going to hit them. And it's how you, you know, how quickly your recovery period is from those or how you move through them and, you know, who you have around you and who, how you engage help in those moments is really important as well. Definitely, for sure. I, I wanted to speak. I mean, that, that's probably where the value of, you know, startup communities like River City Labs can help when you've got these, you know, when you're surrounded by these like-minded people and you've got all this, you know, this support around you, you can definitely help you through those uh, those loops and those waves. Absolutely. And look, I've been, I've been um, banging on about the value of community for years now and it's something that I still believe is absolutely number one. It's it's our number one focus at Privacy Labs is make I mean our customers are founders. So every single thing we do in there is for founders and entrepreneurs. If we can't be helping them, then we're not doing our job right. And part of that is creating that environment where they are surrounded by other people, um, just like them, going through various stages of the very, you know, of the same journey. Doesn't matter what company is, there is going to be somebody in there who's come up against a very similar hurdle. And nobody wants a consultant talking to them when they've had a problem. You know, they just want to talk to someone from their own experience on what they did because, you know, taking advice from someone who has not felt that feeling that you've felt before, it's just not authentic and it's kind of unbelievable, to be honest. And it has to come from that place of authenticity. And just the, the lapse of learning really do speed up when you can just reach out to a peer who, um, you know, they can be sitting next to you, they can be on the Slack channel and you just reach out with a quick question and they can come back. It's it's just that trusted network, I suppose. If you know somebody's been there, it's coming from a genuine place and you know it's such a shitty place yourself, you would want to help someone else through it quicker. So, you know, if you've got something to share as well, it's, it's very encouraging if you want to want to help somebody else move through that same challenge. If you can do that by sharing your own personal experience of that, then great. If not, you can definitely refer them to at least three other people who can. But yes, absolutely, community is key in that environment, not not just for the problems of business, but also to share the wins. You know, it's not all doom and gloom. There are there, there's some great times when you um, you know, when you do really well or you you win something or you or you get some customers and you know, the only person who's going to really understand the excitement of of getting someone sign up to a platform or you know, on launch day, what that looks like. And is those sort of people who have gone through that before, you know, we've been called a cult before, but I don't, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. You know, it depends what, you know, what you consider that. But I think it's a, just a tight group of people who, who get it. You get your headspace, they understand why you're doing it. And we want to help each other. Yeah, I think, I think the word cult, I guess, refers to just the strong culture that you have at River City Labs. Yeah, I like to think that it's a culture as well. Yeah. And that's the type of culture you know, that, that we have always promoted is to give first, give back, connect and, you know, lean into each other. We're, we're all there and you can be surrounded by so many people yet no one's talking and there's so many factors that contribute to that. So we like to have the ability to connect either physically or, you know, in person or with specific mentors on certain topics or your peers, other entrepreneurs, we're experts in the field. 
plus also online, we've we've got all of our alumni still have access to our you know, Riversea Lab Slack channels. So we've got people sitting in other countries that we can reach out to at any given time and they can reach out to us as well. So the strength of the network is quite phenomenal and it grows each year, which is something that I'm really proud of. That's yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, every I guess every new intake of um, founder can then leverage you know the, the many years that have been at River City Labs and all the other founders that have been exactly where they have been. So it's yeah, a- absolutely, and it just you know the the ecosystem obviously is growing as well. So the the level of of, of where we're all or where a lot of the companies are at um, in terms of stages of development. You know, when we started in 2012, it was still very much trying to explain to industry corporates and government what a startup was. At least we don't have to do that anymore. We've definitely moved quite rapidly through that journey and we have all of those parties and stakeholders involved now. They're part of the conversation and the ecosystem is at a, you know, is maturing. It's definitely still on the global scale, you know, a few years behind, but we've definitely made a lot of progress in the last five to six years and the ecosystem itself and entrepreneurs are, definitely working within really large large companies now who are, who are operating in multiple countries all around the world, which is great. It's not just a little Brisbane scene anymore. A lot of HQs are here and they've got, you know, remote teams working all over the world, which is really exciting. Definitely. For those, I guess, for those founders who want to build a community within their business itself, are there any learnings from River City Labs that you could share with them on, you know, what are the, you know, key things to look for when trying to foster this community? obviously takes a fair bit of effort to um, to get to where you have now. Are there any uh, wisdoms you can share? Yeah, look, it's it's um it's an it's a long term thing and you have to be in doing it for the right reasons. So it's for us we are always about, you know, we work extremely closely with our customers. So if you're not, you know, connected to your customer or the core people who you're trying to connect, then you're gonna have a hard time building community because it's like a little mini business in itself, obviously. And, you know, at the centre of every business is a customer who, who has needs and wants and desires. And if you're not meeting any of those, then you're not going to be able to grow a community. So for us, it's about always checking in with our members and understanding what do they want? Are they happy? Are they getting what they need? Do they need more connections or do we need to do more events? Do they want more, you know, happy hours on a Friday or whatever it is, whatever industry you're in? If you don't regularly touch base and, you know, do this, like that's a, that's a combination of physically reaching out, you know, human-to-human phone call uh, or in person or doing a survey. It's constantly checking back with them, making sure that they're getting what they need and that they have a reason to connect back into the community. Because you, 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 there's so many times when, you know, you can create a thriving community, it'll be nice and full, lots of people engaged, and then there'll be a drop-off. And that's quite normal as well. There's a general life cycle of things and, you know, those people might have had all their needs met, they've got the information they need, they're super connected and they move on and that's fine. But there is also the opportunity to re-engage them at a later stage if their needs are something else and then you might need to level up and provide a different level of access to information or access to people um, or it could just be that when they people get to a certain stage, then they move on. And I think there is just constantly assessing that life cycle and what they need along the way and seeing how you can help. It takes a lot of work and you need someone dedicated to that role and checking in and being aware and being the main contact person. I think people love people. We're so over 
um, platforms and, and technical systems, especially people in the tech space. It's really nice to talk to a person every now and then so or see a familiar face at things or have a reason to show up. Most of the times, you know, when there's events on uh, and we want some key people to come, and they'll come because we've asked them to, not because, you know, they feel they should be there. It's just that personal connection that we usually get people across the line. Yeah, definitely. I think humans love to connect with humans. It's, a, it's one of our fundamental needs, really. Yeah. Um, to connect with others. And yeah, like, like you said, I yeah. think people are becoming a bit disenfranchised um, or a bit sick of dealing with, you know, big corporates and faceless companies. It's nice to see that people yeah. find it all. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, community can be delicate too. If you stick the wrong person in there in terms of, you know, to operate or run it or or lead it, and it's sort of, you know, the personality that's not the best um, person to connect people together, uh, that can also disrupt, you know, the, the community as well. So it's interesting to find the right personality to, to drive a community is, is quite a unique thing and it takes a while to understand what the community's needs are to then find that right personal group of people. Um, and it's worth taking the time because if you sort of disrupt things, it, take, it can take quite a while again to, to build up either the trust in the community or that connected feeling that, that you once had. Yeah, I, I like how you, um, you you mentioned, you know, fostering a community is like running a business and really just in terms of understanding the needs of, you know, if it's a community, the needs of its members and to try Absolutely. and deliver as much as you can on their needs. And you realise, you know, which needs to meet first as well, because I'm sure there's a variety of needs for everyone in, in River City Labs and it's prioritising what to work on first. Look, there are so many needs that need to be met. And the thing is, it's like I, I liken it to parenthood, to be honest, because you all of a sudden, you you know, if, you, if you're in the baby stage, you get used to what it's like being a parent of a baby. And then all of a sudden they become a toddler. You're like, oh, my gosh, what do we do now? I don't know how to look after this toddler. So you go and learn a bunch of new skills and you meet their needs and then, they start school and you're like, okay, now I'm a parent of a school age kid. It's very similar with a with a community that's growing up through uh, a phase like our startup ecosystem. You know, we were, you know, we fostered community of very early stage startups, and we we knew how to meet the needs of those people all kicking off from the from the scratch, and you know, who are all keen to get involved, and everyone's getting into this new phase of being a startup founder, and all of a sudden you have a bunch of startup founders and. Then there's the phase of where they've been in business for a while and you're like, okay, well, how do we meet their needs now? They all need different things. They don't need the basic one-on-one information sessions anymore and we need our mentors to be better because all of a sudden our founders are way better and we need to match them with mentors with much better skills than we've had previously. And then all of a sudden you've got founders of companies who you know, are, are more skilled than any mentor we've ever had or any previous you know, alumni and we need to really then upskill ourselves and how do we how do we meet their needs now and that's what I was saying about the evolution is there comes a point in time when you when it's probably okay that they leave the community because they've outgrown you and you can't keep shifting and changing for everybody you have to understand at what point when you add the most value and stay there and 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 that comes down to that intimate knowledge of exactly who your customer is what stages and where you can add the most value because you can't you know, keep everybody happy. It's it's finding that sweet spot, and I think that for us, that's the evolution that we've gone through is understanding. Okay, we've done lots of things. Which is the bit that works the most, and how can we continue to keep adding value there, and you know, make sure that everyone's getting something out of it. Yeah, that's that's a really big lesson to learn. Often, you know, founders and, and business owners want to try to please everybody out there, but it's yes. it's it's very it's impossible to please everyone because if you please a certain group of people, then inevitably you're going to, you know, annoy some other pe- people. And that's just the nature yeah. of 
the, the nature of sort of it customers is. and members. You can't you can't please everyone. Yeah. No, but you can't also sit still either and just think, mm. oh, we've got a formula, we're just going to work before it's going to work in the future. It's it's not always like that. You have to be, you know, on the ball and, you know, always think five steps ahead because, you know, especially in a sector like this, everything moves so fast. Luckily for us, that's one advantage of Australia being, you know, a bit, a bit further behind, you know, the, the global ecosystem or global markets is that we can look to other countries who are thriving or have thriving ecosystems and start up cultures and look to see what they're doing and, and learn from them. That's the beauty of it. And that's that's what we do often. And you know, we run our startup catalyst missions internationally, and that's our number one way we get insight into exactly what those countries are doing. What do the spaces do? What does the community do? What events are they hosting? How can we keep improving? We, we need to, you know, obviously make sure that we don't drop the ball on progressing in terms of access to information, the types of minds that we can put in front of our client founders, it's an extremely competitive space. So it's perfect for entrepreneurship because we're all competitive and we want to keep doing better. And that's just mostly we're, we're competing with ourselves, but we, we're, we're going to take everybody with us. We're going to take the whole community with us. So, you know, we're always looking at different ways that we can make sure that we're not getting left behind. Yeah, where do you see? You said Australia's sort of a bit, a couple of years behind in the global scheme of things. Where do you see Australia's startup sector going over the next couple of years? Um, look, we, I think we're, you know, we're going to keep progressing. There's loads of spaces. There is government money now in terms of, you know, each state has various initiatives, pools of cash you can tap into to either kick off initiatives, programs, spaces. There's a lot of focus on the regional areas, making sure that they don't you know, get left behind and they have access to information, tap into the, you know, the larger hubs and, and ecosystems. So we will keep progressing. We will probably still go too broad. I think at the moment, you know, there's an explosion of spaces and programs and accelerators and all sorts of things. And everybody's doing a lot of things. And I think what we will end up seeing is, you know, people specialize and certain verticals pop up and you know, a bit more of a focus on, okay, they do that really well and those people over there do that really well. And if you're into this sector or you go to those people or you stay at that, you know, you work from that space, I think where we need to get to is really specialised help and specialised level of assistance and hyper-focused on certain niches and verticals so that we can wrap the best support the best minds and the best access and, you know, access to dollars even in certain sectors so that we're not, you know, spreading it across multiple sectors and industries. I think you'll get the best help for founders either, you know, within program spaces or expertise if we do specialise in that way. For the founder, they also know where to go to get the best help for them individually and for their business. Yeah, so they have a sort of a, a Rolodex of, you know, exactly the right startup space or the exactly the right sort of mentors at different places to go to to meet yeah, their, their absolutely, own. yeah. And it, look, it's great for corporates too or even government to know, okay, if I want to work with, you know, fintech companies, where are they? Who are the best people in the game for this? Anything with ag tech or, you know, AI, where, where are all of the specific verticals? Where do those startups go? Where are the best people we can talk to about that? And, you know, for those companies who are looking to either get involved or partner with or invest in, that it gives them a bit of a, you know, leg up in terms of getting started and how do they get involved rather than what we see now is we see a lot of corporate organisations trying everything 
and they do a little bit, they spend a bit over there and they try a bit here and they'll do one of those programs with those people and then they'll do this. And all of a sudden, collectively, they've spent the equivalent of probably, you know, an annual, the same investment they could have made into one really decent program that perhaps supported 10 amazing companies that would have benefited their company directly or their sector, perhaps. So instead of shopping around and trying lots of little bits of everything, it'd be great if they could, you know, be directed towards the place where they should have gone the first time. But we're still not there yet. We're definitely heading there. And I think we just need a bit more time in the game for everyone to, the whole ecosystem to stabilise and everyone find their, you know, their happy place and their niche and where they work best. Yeah, sort of a self-discovery process, not only for the founders, but for corporates, government and um, startup catalysts like River City Labs to have a, a yeah, really, really solid foundation to, to go you know, through that, that next phase of, of growth. Yeah, definitely. For those thinking about sort of joining sort of a, a startup environment like River City Labs, what are some ways they can best take advantage of the space around them? Oh, look, we have essentially, I mean, anyone can come into River City Labs any time, any day, we're open. So the facility, you know, is a 24-7 facility and members have access 24-7. They come in with a swipe card and they can get some stuff done. But for anyone from the outside, there are, you know, there's events on most days. We're, we're placed, you know, we're based within the startup precinct in Fortitude Valley. So if we don't have an event on, the precinct usually does. There's something on every single day in that building, which is fantastic. Events are free to attend. All of our events are free to attend, but you can also drop in and come and have a look around. Other than that, if you if you came in, is that you can do a drop in day pass and work from there for the day. We do open houses on the first Friday of every month, which means we sort of open the doors. Anyone can work from there. We do a couple of tours. We introduce them to some members, and then we do open house drinks in the afternoon, which anyone can you know get up and have a pitch if they want to. Great opportunity to meet new people. So there are those opportunities that are that happen all of the time. But then, of course, if you were a member, it's a matter of, you know, signing up as a member, which is pretty quick and easy to do. And then you have access to the workspace, a pool of 40 amazing industry mentors who are there to help at any point in time. We run lots of different programs in there suited to, you know, companies who are going through the ideation validation stage. That's where we have a pre-accelerator, 12 weeks long, right through to our River City Labs Accelerator, which is for later stage companies. And that's a full-time six-month accelerator program. We also do day workshops. We do a lot of corporate innovation workshops. We do programs with schools. We do programs for school teachers. Uh, we do so many different structured programs. But for the everyday person who wants to come in and, and check us out and work from there, the doors are open and that access is really easy. Yeah, I find it fascinating how many sort of avenues there are for, you know, those who want to dip their toe in or those who want to, you know, fully commit. There's definitely a, yes. a, range, of, a range of, like you said, programs for them to take advantage of. Sort of yeah, look, anything from a, absolutely from from the drop-in day pass to the you know casual membership, which you know gets you a seat in the hot desk area, and you can have you can come in as you know seven days a week or two days a month. It doesn't really matter. And then we have full-time desks, so those people tend to be more full-time members come in every day. They get their set designated workstation. Um, then we've got sixteen offices, which are full of companies at the moment, and that's for larger teams, usually from three to ten people, and they're all got you know a range of companies in there at the moment a lot of those companies in our offices are alumni from the accelerator program who who stay on or other companies who who move into brisbane and looking to wanting to get involved in the startup sector and but have a team already and and want to take an office 
So there are yeah, multiple opportunities to either get involved from an external perspective or, or from an internal perspective and, and really get involved in the community and be a member. And then, of course, for anyone who wants none of those options but wants to give back, we have, we, you know, we invite mentors in. So anyone who's interested in working with startups who has some experience, we love entrepreneurs themselves to give back their time. We're, we're quite protective of our community and make sure that we put the best people in front of them. And also, we, we hope to get people that often, the, you know, the founder themselves probably wouldn't be able to find on their own um, through various networks so that we do really maintain that quality of mentor. So, we, you know, we're open for people to apply to be a mentor. And then also we do lots of other special projects and events. You know, Startup Weekends are one of the things we do one annually. It's a really big event, but heaps of people can volunteer to get involved in those types of things, whether they're a mentor or a helper or whatever. There are limitless opportunities to get involved and so many different things that happen throughout the year. You'd never get bored if you came and wanted to help out. No, not at all. And one of those things are hackathons. And I was, for you being a judge on, on hackathons, what are some, yes. obviously, do you see any similarities in the teams that win? Yes. Uh, whether it's a hackathon or a pitch event or a startup weekend, the common theme basically it, it comes down to and it's like this is exactly what investors look for obviously when they're watching a pitch from a founder who's looking to raise capital is what is the founder like that person how um, do they understand their product are they very clear about the problem that they're solving if they're solving a problem what are they asking for who's on their team where are they heading if they're asking for something, do they know what they're going to use it for? Meaning, you know, if they're asking for capital, do they know exactly what they're going to spend it on? Do they have that clear direction? And it's, it's, it's a, it is a common theme. So in a hackathon, often you've only had the weekend to work on the concept. You've got a, probably a newly formed team behind you. And the people who win hackathons in particular is, is also the product as well as how well, well the person pitches the concept. But you can have an amazing product and a terrible pitch and no one understands what you do, even which is quite sad because you've built something phenomenal but no one understands what the hell it is because you pitched it poorly. So absolutely the common theme is how well you can get your point across, how well you can pitch, and it's just being articulate about it and being straightforward, knowing your product and your numbers and or your stats and your customer. Who is your customer? What do they need? Are you getting all of those points across in that often, you know, three to five minutes that you've got to present it? And if you can touch all of those points, you know, you're in with a good chance. And then it's up to the judges whether they whether they like you, whether they like your idea, whether they um, think you progressed enough through the weekend with the idea, whether you actually asked customers if they wanted this thing that you're building or you even had some users. Did you do any testing? What tech was involved? You know, did you actually build something? Because we all know you can build stuff in a weekend. A lot of people use it, lots of excuses why they can't. Um, but there's so many tools out there that enable you to get something up. Something can be made by somebody across a weekend. You just have to work hard at it. It's not easy. It's one weekend. You might not get much sleep, but it's worth having a crack because often the exposure you get on the back of those types of events is, is quite phenomenal in terms of the PR. And it's up to you then, how do you continue that marketing message post-event? How can you keep taking that, that little win at a little hackathon and make it into something that sounds you know, fantastic and it's up to you? you? You can push that through the social marketing channels quite, quite a fair way if you're willing to. Do you have any examples of um, successful um, people who have won hackathons take it you know, from, from a hackathon to where it is now? You know? 
Yeah, look, um, one of the ones that we commonly talk about is we hosted back in 2012, we hosted the first startup weekend that Queensland had at, at River City Labs. And the winner of that weekend was a team called Fun Capture. And they, you know, at the time, they pretty much gamified the capture. You know, on websites, we actually had to enter in, prove that you're not a robot. And they just gamified it. So they had a you know, great founding team, really good concept. And they won that event, which, you know, back then, Startup Weekend, first one was pretty exciting. I think they won a couple of prizes. But the two guys, there was a founding team of three. They ended up having a, a founder split, but the two that stayed on pursued the idea and had a unique, you know, background of skill sets between them both. But they were, were they, these were the type of people that I was talking about before in terms of being relentless in pitching their idea everywhere for years. They were there. They would show up every single time. Every time I put a call out for something, they'd throw their hat in the ring. No matter what stage they're at, no matter how what the time constraints were, they would always put their hand up, get involved. And now they're still going and they're doing exceptionally well. They're called Arcos Labs now. They're actually based uh, downstairs in the precinct of the level below us. I think they've got a team of about, I think they've got about 30 in Brisbane, more based overseas. I'm probably completely underselling their success, but they are, I think they got invested in by PayPal. So they are doing exceptionally well. That's, a, that's an and incredible that was, story. Yes, it and is. That, because they never gave up. They understood they had something. I and mean, of course, it's, it's changed a little bit, you know, obviously from the original idea, but the core theme is still there. And it was about solving, you know, internet security issues by using the experience they had, which, you know, the background was in, in gaming and using the different ways of doing things and pushing through. And, and those guys had so many no's. I heard the stories for years and the challenges that they pushed through and, you know, they survived on tiny team for such a long time. And now they've, you know, they're just hiring. If you're a, you know, gun developer in Brisbane, I can guarantee they're headhunting you right now because they just cannot get enough good talent to join the team. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's that's amazing to see, you know, that growth and that resiliency that they, they've needed and developed over that period of time, you know. Like, it, yeah. I'm sure they got, you know, hundreds of notes and... But for them to take that feedback on, to implement it and integrate it into what they're doing yeah. and just to still carry on and keep going, I mean, that, that's a testament to those two founders who, you know. It is. And I, it was, you know, they were absolutely the type of person. I mean, one of the founders in particular would always be the person. If I was an event and they saw someone that they wanted to be introduced to, I would always get an email from him post, you know, after the event saying, Peter, I saw this person at the event. Would you be able to give me an introduction? So he always followed up and always asked, you know, you've got to ask the question and don't feel bad about being, you know, ask for the introduction. If you, if you want to meet someone, you've got to get in there. And, um, you know, you've, you've just, you have to show up. Like there were so many opportunities where there was, you know, certain dignitaries that would come in as a guest and would say these people are coming in and they'd be there for the chance that they could possibly just meet them. And every time they met them, they'd do the quick pitch. And, you know, most people think, oh, gosh, you know, this important person, I'm not going to pitch them. But you never know where it's going to lead. You never know where the next introduction is going to get you. And, you know, for people like that, it has certainly paid off. Obviously, on the back of that, they, they had a good product. But, you know, you've got to have that that drive to keep going and the hunger to ch- chase down those contacts. Yeah, because you, you can have the best product in the world, but if you're going to give up at the, at the first hurdle, then, then there's no point. So exactly. it's... um. Founder resilience is such a necessary sort of quality. 
It's huge and it's such a blocker for many people to be able to grow. Huge. I guess that, that's where sort of we're um, sort of moving on from River City Labs and to touch on Peak Persona just a little bit. I guess that's where Peak Persona sort of comes <coughs> in and is my understanding sort of where it all sort of came from was to support these founders through the, the mental struggles that come with running a business. Yeah, look, it was definitely um, at the time when I was involved, it was just a concept to, it, I think it was just identifying what we had seen in and around the labs within the ecosystem and knowing what founders go through because we get to see the back end we get to see you know behind the scenes behind the you know the the curtain of the pitch events and we know that the loops the founders go through uh, you know what they've got to do to prepare to you know to meet their board for the first time or what do they do to prepare to you know take on investment and pitch to investors and that that's really scary and like i was just saying before with the previous you know the previous team it it takes so much every day to get up and be able to do that and pull it off you know on the days when you just don't feel like you can or you want to there's so much in it that you've got to do to yourself to even get into the right frame of mind and that's where the original concept you know for peak persona came around was that founders need assistance on understanding themselves and what are the tools and structures and routines and habits that can be adapted to enable you to give yourself the best chance to position yourself well from the moment that you wake up to be able to go and perform that day because essentially you know you're performing most days and you could yes you've got to do all the stuff you know sit down and actually do your work on your computer but you've got to have meetings and you've got to pitch and then you know you've got to hire someone and which means you're constantly selling so you're putting yourself out there every day, which is a lot of energy um, output. And a lot of the times you, you need to refill your cup again and to be able to go again the next day. Or it could have been just a really crap day with a lot of no's and a lot of negativity. And how do you not take that energy into your next meeting or you, you know, take it back to your staff who really rely on you for you know, the energy and drive to keep the team going because often some days, you know, they're not getting paid much. You're probably get, getting paid nothing and you've got, to, you've got to get the energy from somewhere. So the whole concept with the program was like how can we look at, get the founders to look at themselves and assess how they operate as a person and how can you optimise that so that you can at least give yourself the best chance to have the best day each day and, you know, when, how do you recover? I think how do you work out your recovery period and um, what your various triggers are, you know, for the ups and downs and the loops that you get, you know, the crazy stuff that gets thrown your way to build up the resilience and then have a really clear strategy of knowing yourself, knowing what's required. I mean, I use the strategies like, you know, that exist within Peak Persona. I just use it in, in my life generally in terms of my own personal routine to be able to get up and perform every day. My um, day, I have two roles. Obviously, I have, you know, my home parental role and then I have my role at River City Labs and both of them are quite high performing. So I've got to, got to be on my got to be on my game and some days you just don't want to. But there's ways that you can get yourself into, you know, into the right headspace to be able to either perform or at least put your best foot forward and get done what you need to do or bring energy to the room or do the speech or um, present a workshop or whatever it is. And there's certain structures and procedures that it's just like it's just like running a business and what's the procedure for your own person. And it works well for me and I'm sure it works well for the founders that go through the program. I think Aaron's almost been going for two years now I've sort of stepped out after the first three programs so I haven't seen the 
continued growth and success of it that he has. But all of the feedback that I hear, I think founders get a lot out of it. Yeah, definitely for sure. And it's um, something that every sort of business owner, every person really should invest in themselves, um, whether it's through a structured program like Peak Persona or, um, or other measures. It's definitely such a worthy investment to make and something that'll carry with yeah. you. I think we're talking, you know, no matter what business you run or, not, or no matter what business you, you're in, you can definitely be applied to wherever you are in life. Absolutely. And it comes down to understanding yourself. So it's, you know, there are times where I'm not saying you have to go and be this peak person and be, you know, fake facade and have this, you know, sort of facade that you're on your game all the time. But sometimes when you do need to be on your game majority of the time, how can you best optimize that so that you are your output is exactly where you need it to be, that you've got the right energy, you know yourself to know how to best manage, first of all, your time, your energy levels, you know, your mindset, where does your mind go so that you've got the right frame of mind to be able to do what you need to do. And a lot of it does come from self-evaluation, understanding how you operate, what what to actually do on those days when, when things aren't going so well. How can you get back on track so that your whole entire day or week isn't you know, derailed because of one incident and um, just to move on quickly so that you can, you know, have rapid rates of learning and be able to progress because often, you know, in business a lot relies on you as the founder and even if you're running a small business, not just for tech entrepreneurs or startup founders, this is for business operators everywhere really and it's, if you're trying to set culture as well within your company, you cannot be the boss who's saying we need to do this, this and this if you are not leading by example. You will have way more people jump on board if, if you're coming from a very authentic place and genuine place of believing everything that you say and showing them by being the person doing exactly what you um, are trying to achieve in terms of culture. You will have people want to join you because it looks like a great place to be and it looks like a great state to be in. And it's it's just about, I think, you know, it, in terms of an individual happiness, if you're doing things that make you genuinely happy, most people would, would like to also be like that. So, you know, you'll get everybody doing it differently. I'm not saying that culture needs to be all about happiness, but it's definitely setting the right tone from the start. And I think with um, startups, you know, the focus on hustling and 24-7 and working really hard around the clock and, you know, all work, no sleep, no play is, is just really unhealthy lifestyle and can set, well, not only the founder up for failure, but also the team culture. If that's driven in from the start, it can, you know, lead to a lot of burnout and a lot of just general unhappiness. And there's a lot of families at home waiting for those people to come back and they want to know why they're getting their broken versions and, not, you know, so, or, or they have no idea where they go and spend all of that time at work. So there's so much in it in terms of communication, looking after yourself, making sure that you don't get the burnout. And if you do, because that's, that's okay too, how do you quickly recover? What's your recovery time look like and what's, what do you need in that recovery time? Yeah, how do you bounce back after um, setbacks? And I guess that's yeah. important. It's not going to always, you're not always going to have the motivation, you know, to get up every day and go at it. But it's, you know, like I said before, going through it even though you don't want to. Absolutely. Yeah. And look, it's just, this isn't new. None of this is new. Uh, you know, if you look at the sporting industry, athletes, this is exactly how they train. They have days where they're training because they're performers, right? So entrepreneurs are saying, we're you know, they're performers, founders are performers and you've got to perform every day in your company. You've got to put out a lot of energy. You've got to be doing all the right things. 
but you know same with athletes you have rest days and you have recovery days and there are days where you train intensely and there's days where you you know ease off a bit it has to be this similar sort of a rhythm you can't force you know the body to keep going 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 and not recognize some of the signs sometimes that your physical self is is trying to tell you so we need to look more to putting as much effort and attention into building founders you know healthy lifestyles as well as we do for athletes because we focus in Australia a lot on sport and athletes and that whole sector has a massive industry supporting athletes and their well-being we need to do the same here for entrepreneurs founders people in business and their well-being as well yeah I love the parallels between sport and and business or entrepreneurship there's definitely a lot more parallels than we give credit to um, yeah. especially with the concept of rest days and taking a little bit easier, that doesn't mean, you know, not doing anything at all, I guess, but it, it definitely means sort of assessing how you can recharge because it's impossible to Absolutely. give 100% of yourself. Just just like in sport, like you said before, you know, you can't give 100% every day physically. You definitely need to have time to yes. rest and um, restore yourself. But also, the, you know, there's that whole, you know, the, it's, it, there's three similarities, you know, between sort of entrepreneurship, the music industry and, and um and sport or athletes, so musicians go through this same loop of, you know, you can put out a great hit or a, you know, great album and then the pressure to then release the second album is, is, is massive. And so the artist goes through this same sort of, you know, mental loops and mental issues and pressure of performance and, and all of that sort of stuff. And so the music industry has a lot to support uh, musicians in that sector as well, just like athletes, you know, if they're working towards the Olympics and, they don't get in. What's life like after being an Olympian? What, what careers could they go into? How do we support them mentally for that in their terms, you know, failure, even though it's not a failure, it's a massive achievement. But to the individual, it's a huge failure because they didn't meet that target. So entrepreneurs, what do we do to support them when they don't hit their targets? And if their business doesn't work, how can we catch them in the ecosystem so they don't end up a failure and go off and do a job that they're going to hate? How else can we still plug them into the ecosystem to use all of that amazing expertise that they've gained by running that company and help share the knowledge, you know? So there's so many things that we could definitely develop and grow as this massive support network for entrepreneurship. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, start to, you know, give yeah, give as much support to um, all the founders, startups, small business owners and, you know, larger companies, the support they need to, you know, be able to so that they can deliver on their promises to their, you know, consumers, employees, yep. clients, family. Yep. Very, very good. And it, and yeah, look, and it's just all shared learnings. I mean, even uh, what you, I listened to one of your podcasts, your solo ones just before this one, and you were talking about the five lessons that you had learned in year of podcasting mm-hmm. and one of them was that fear just before hosting hoping that the person cancels so you, you know secretly because there's a fear of doing it now I get the exact same feeling just before I speak every single time and I've been speaking for years now and the feeling never goes away ever I almost hope that the people cancel ring up to say we don't need you to speak or the events been cancelled because I never want to do it I'll say yes and I never want to do it but it's one of those things that you know the feeling, you know you have to push through it, you know it's going to be fine, you're going to love it at the end, but there's that feeling, how do I cope with it? And it's just that shared learning. So you put it on this podcast that you go through it, so that'll resonate with someone else. Mm-hmm. I try and talk about it as much as often as I can because most people think 
because they see me speaking, then I'm, you know, I'm a confident speaker. And I am once I get going, but I, I, I'm absolutely hating it the first, you know, few minutes every single time. Like sometimes I'm like physically ill. Like I get that nervous. It's ridiculous. And, and it, so those sort of shared learnings is exactly what the ecosystem needs is, key, you know, for people to share all different types of learnings. It's not always just about, you know, raising capital or, you know, founder splits or term sheets. There's all lots of little bits of tiny learnings in there as well because everybody has something to offer somebody else. And I think that's the biggest thing to remember is no matter what stage you're at, whether you've got a tech company or a podcast, it doesn't really matter. You've got something to teach someone else just because you did it, you've done it and someone else is going to come across a very similar problem. Yeah, that's which the beauty is, of um, to talk about it all. Yeah, which is, I guess, one of the reasons why I, did, I started Stories Behind the Grind. I mean, looking at the, just the, the stories and challenges and advice shared through on the Instagram page as well. There's many, yep. many you know, business owners that have gone through, you know, shared struggles that have shared their, what they've been through. So, yeah, it's definitely, I yes. think, yeah, through sharing and through storytelling is is the way we're going to help others realise that they're not alone, that the challenges that they're experiencing are not in isolation and that there are, you know, plenty of people who have who have gone through it and can help you go through Absolutely. whatever challenge you're facing, which goes back to what we were talking about um, earlier on in the conversation with our River City Labs, how, you know, you've got founders who are coming up against these, what they seem sort of insurmountable difficulties. And all, all they need to do is sort of reach out, and I'm sure, my, yeah, most of the time, if not all the time, there's someone who can who can pitch in and, and help or refer them on. Yeah, look, it's exactly it's exactly that. And in terms of you know entrepreneurship, the darker side is obviously um, there's a lot of mental health issues, um, and I like to you know talk about mental wellness a lot around entrepreneurship, and that's the reason why I started 3AM Tribe which is basically a series of events focused around having hard conversations, everything to do with being in business or being a founder and, and everything to do with the, get, being involved in entrepreneurship is that shared learning, safe environment, you know, talking peer-to-peer, but then also having sometimes people get up there and share their story just to a room full of people who probably feel uncomfortable to connect or talk about it at that point in time, but they just want to know somebody else is going through something similar. And, you know, with mental health, it's um, it's a huge issue in entrepreneurship simply because of the pressures involved and, the, you know, like everything I've just previously mentioned in terms of hours worked and the culture and all that sort of stuff. Uh, there's certainly things that we can do in terms of getting the conversations started, people sharing their stories, having a safe place to go or a safe person to talk to or, or an identified safe person to talk to. Because often it's just not knowing where to start. And people are not thinking something bad enough yet, so they shouldn't need to talk about it. And should I go and see a psychologist? I'm not sure because is this really bad? Do I actually have a problem or am I just having a bad day? And often we don't have answers to any of those questions, so then we sort of just get stuck and do nothing. So the aim of 3AM Tribe is to host, you know, events in each, most of the innovation hubs, just having a, you know, general conversation about um, pretty general topics, but it's definitely an opportunity for people to come into a safe place and ask a question or be directed to um, professional help if that's actually the path that they need to go down to. But it always starts off in a community, more of a community-minded event first, and then it can definitely be referred on to professional help in whatever area that they're living in so that we've got the backup because we're not you know, professionals in this space, but we are definitely community connectors. 
and can identify when people need to have a chat. And to be honest, in the last six years, I've probably been, I've heard that many people's, you know, private stories about life and places, hard spots that they're in, you know, at while I'm making a cup of tea or whether I'm in a phone booth or, you know, making lunch or in, in a cafe. You just, if you're around long enough, you tend to collect enough stories to know that there's definitely a problem and there has to be a way that we can, you know, we can solve this together. So that's what I aim to do with 3AM Tribe is to um, have that series of events that happen all throughout the spaces and also have a opportunity for spaces to train staff within their hubs and in their innovation centres to be, you know, mental health um, first aid trained so that there is at least someone in there who's, you know, trained and identify, could identify certain triggers and personality traits that might be alarming. Yeah, that, that's that's so valuable and, and so needed in the, I guess, in the startup community. You know, yeah. a lot of it's just sometimes it's just you know let's go and have a coffee and you have a chat to someone yeah. or knowing at what point you could ask someone to go and have a coffee or you know or beer or whatever it is whatever's appropriate at that time and for everybody it's going to be different. It's just so many forms. There's no one answer, but it's let's look out for each other. You know, if we all switch on our internal compass, um, you know, of being intuitive and reading people really well, we, we all have the ability, we just tune out because we all get too busy. And if you take notice of your mates and the people around you, you can identify sometimes just some things that, you know, people are acting a bit different or they're not as bright and bubbly as they normally are or they're looking, you know, extra stressed or all of a sudden they, you know, don't come in the mornings, they used to come in the mornings or they're staying later or they're looking tired or, or the opposite, they can be hyper-connecting, meaning they're staying, you know, around networking way longer and not going home, which is something that they used to do. So, you know, all these little changes that you notice in people, I think any change, you know, if we just need to look out for each other and, and check in with every, you know, with each other every now and then. And often people don't help because it's more confronting for the helper than the person getting helped to even ask. And most people tend to not want to get involved. They're like, you know, tend to step back and go, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to get involved because then all of a sudden I'm involved. And, you know, at that point in time, you've got to look at the situation for this and go, come on, I think someone needs something here and I have to put my own needs aside and, and look out for them. Or if you don't have the time, then, you know, let somebody else know that you've identified some changes in someone and, you know, would they mind checking in with them often? You know, for us within our own team, we, we can pretty much know with our members if something's up and we can let each other know to check in with someone or someone who knows them closely to just say, hey, I think they might need to, you know, go and grab a coffee and see if they're doing okay. It could be something as simple as that and other times it could be it could be more. And it's just a matter of sort of gauging the situation and, and just being there as a friend first is really important. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Yeah, very important. And, and I guess to re- remove judgment from it all as well. You know, you're not going to be judged Absolutely. if you reach out and you're no. not going to be judged if you reach out to someone who you think might, you know, might need a hand. I mean, some, sometimes that's all people need is just to, you know, just to know that someone cares about them. Can be, yeah. you know, can be all somebody needs, but they need someone to reach out to them first. Yeah, and look, a lot of the you know, there's a lot of people that um, you know live alone. They might not have partners or family, so we could be the people seeing them the most. And you know, we're the ones who could identify, you know, if there's anything up. But their friends and family might not have any idea. They're not close, or um, you know, they just you know, don't have many people in their network. So it is, it's just super important to just every now and then check, lift you know, lift your head up from your own desk and 
and um, or say hello to the person in the lift that you see every day but you don't actually usually connect with, you know. It could be the first hello that they get that day and it could mean everything because sometimes some people just really need a bit of human connection. And even though they're going to a space where there's people every day, they may still not connect. And that seems fascinating but it's very true. And just because they're around people doesn't mean they're connecting. It's two really, really different things. It's important to know that. But it comes down to just just be a good human and, you know, show a bit of compassion for other people. Yeah, yeah, that's it. A bit of empathy towards, um, you know, yeah. towards other human beings is um, such a necessity. Definitely, especially in this sector. We need to look out for each other. Oh, for sure. Uh, Peter, final question for the podcast, and it's a question I like to ask all guests. What's your definition of the grind? Of the grind, wow. Um, <laughs> Crazy-ass roller coaster that does not end. Look, but Dan, I have been pulled up on this before. I've said to someone, uh, you know, I feel like I'm on a crazy roller coaster and they said, you know, Peter, you can always hop off. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to hop off. So it's, um, I think the grind is is anything that you make it. I mean, if it is a crazy roller coaster, as long as you have lots of time on the flat bit where you can go slow and catch your breath every now and then before you do more loops. Mm-hmm. But the grind, I think the grind is life, to be honest. You'd like The grind is just your life and it depends how, how fast you want to play it or how hard or complicated or how you want to learn and grow as a person. No, love it. Uh, Peter, where, where can people find more about you and uh, River City Labs? Uh, look, they can obviously people can find more about me. I'm on um, Instagram, Peter Online, uh, LinkedIn, obviously Peter Ellis, and then River City Labs is rivercitylabs.net. That's the website. Then on all social channels as River City Labs. And on Twitter, I'm Ellis Peter, back to front, surname first, first name second. Wonderful. I encourage everyone to uh, to get in touch. If this is the first time you've listened to the podcast, I appreciate you for stopping by. Please subscribe. Otherwise, if you took away valuable advice from this episode, I'd love for you to share it with others. Until next time.